so thanks for joining me. I'm really excited about this. Ever since we met on the trip, I was like, I need to get you on. So <laughs> I'm doing it. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm tired. Um, I've had one of those days where it's just been nonstop boring stuff, but you know, things like fixing drains and Adult uh, stuff. Take, yeah, adulting, uh, full adulting, and um, taking clothes to uh, dry cleaners to do stuff for weddings and stuff, oh. all sorts of you know rubbish, basically. Not Formula One, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately, no. All There's right. always some Formula One during the day, though, or something. Yeah, we'll get to it in a bit. No. No. <laughs> okay, so we'll start off. Um, would you like to tell the listeners who you are and what it is you do or did? Uh, so my name is Paul Challoner. I think. Um, majority of people that I bump into in the video game world would know me as Red Eye mm-hmm. uh, from a previous life. Um, I spent about 20 years in esports um, doing all sorts of things from commentating on video games in the very early days in my boxer shorts whilst drinking tequila uh, all the way through to hosting big stages at Madison Square Garden and uh, the Playboy Mansion and um, God, what else can I name drop in? Um, doing shows with Kim Kardashian and wild stuff, completely wild stuff. I even wrote a book and uh, it got published by um, JK Rowling's publisher. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit of wild, wild, a wild 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So obviously you mentioned people will know you as Red Eye. Where yeah. did that come from? Because it's quite iconic. People know you as that. Where? What's yeah. the story behind that? Uh, smoking too much pot. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to have this really cool story, which was like, I can't remember what we said. It was something like, oh, it's because I used to fly a lot and catch a lot of late flights. Just the PR be, like, politically, yeah, politically correct, but actually, no, it's um, it, it a really, it's a wild, wacky story, but I, when I was a lot younger, I mean a lot younger now, um, I'd, I'd smoked some weed with a friend of mine, and I woke up in the morning with a bloodshot eye, and he said, oh my god, you've got a red eye, look at this thing, and I was like, shut up, you're winding me up, and I and ended up, I looked in the mirror, and I did have actually a bloodshot eye, and he went, that's a great name for a video game name, and that was about 1996 or something and so it was it was really early before it because back in those days when you typed your name into a game you you sort of chose a new name every time you played right but like every night you'd be paul 127 and the following night you'd be gruesome monster so you just change your name every night and eventually you had to settle on a name because when you registered with clans god i'm sounding really old now when you registered with clans or clan base which was a big international tournament site okay. you had to go by a nickname because they had to identify you that you were eligible to play for that team so that's that's where it comes from okay interesting yeah. so there's a longer story behind the the actual story <laughs> yeah a much longer story but i won't bore you with it <laughs> so it obviously feels like you've been in esports since literally the beginning um what is, what is something that you've seen like as it's progressed what's one of the biggest things that you've seen like the transition between then and now oh god um well i think the, the biggest one would be stadiums like if you think about uh back in 1999 2000 2001 when we were first doing sort of esports you know it wasn't even called esports back then it was just, it just competitive video games right it was organized leagues of some kind and so we would do them mainly from home, mainly online, and mainly country-based because the internet wasn't great back then either. That then spread a little bit, and what would happen is, is you would go to what they used 
what we used to call a LAN party. You went to a LAN party because LAN was 100 meg. Right. And no, no one had 100 meg at home. So you went to LAN because you, you got great ping and because it equalized everyone and, and therefore the skill levels were whatever they were. Right. So you would go to the LAN because that would prove that you were better than someone else. And that was what it became. Usually on race courses for some reason, not not the race course, race course, horse racing race right, course, okay. sadly. Um, you know, we'd go on the network and we'd set it all up and we'd do it ourselves and we'd pitch in and we'd put money in between us and then we'd have a little tournament. I think the most I ever won was about 200 quid. That's how it began. Fast forward 15 years and I'm standing on stage in Madison Square Garden. Right. And I've got 5,000 people in front of me in the crowd and I've got about 2 million people watching online. Yeah. As I say, welcome to this Intel Extreme Masters event or whatever it might have been. Um, likewise, when we first went to Katowice in Poland, we went to the Spodek Arena and filled it and that was 12,000 people. Wow. And then you go to Seattle for Dota 2 for the international and you have a 30,000 seat stadium and you fill it. Right. And so... When you think of those levels of, you know, my first Shoutcast, I went out to 23 people on Shoutcast Radio on the internet. Yeah. And then I'm in a stadium going out to 12 million people live on ESPN to a crowd of 30,000 physical people for six or seven days in a row. Like, that's that's the biggest gap I can give you between what it was when we started and, yeah. and what it is today. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. No. How do you sort of prepare yourself? Obviously, you you kind of grow with it as it moves along. Yeah. How do you then? There must be a moment where you think, "Shit, like this is crazy." That's a good question. Actually, I don't think I've ever felt like that. I think because I've been very lucky because I kind of grew with it. Right. And so, you know, the first time I did a a, a proper thing that wasn't at home, the first time I actually had to go be professional and do something. Um, we went to an ABIT event in London in 2004. And I realized at that point, I was like, oh, I'm now being paid a little bit of money. Not much, but paid a little bit. And I've got to work for a sponsor, ABIT, and they're quite cool. Uh, better be on my best behavior. So I, you know, I wore a smarter, I still wore jeans and a t shirt, but I was yeah. a bit smarter. Um, I certainly didn't swear when I was online. And then um, I didn't drink anything either. And I also tempered my, my monologues better if that makes sense so at that point I think that was the first Nirvana point for me where I sort of thought oh shit I really need to go back to college and learn this stuff I don't know how to be a broadcaster I didn't I, I you know I've just kind of gone along with it as it's gone along and most of it's been radio um and then I've started doing a bit of camera work and I don't know where to look I don't know what to do you know it's all foreign to me so I went back to college in 2005 did a night course in broadcasting and and so that was the first point and then I think the next bit was then we sort of transitioned from being commentators some of us to being uh, like a Gary Lineker host presenter style role and then even emceeing and, and Warren Buffer style things where we were calling players onto stage and stuff like that so I kind of I, as I went along, I was sort of fell into these roles because I was one of the more experienced blokes and people trusted me, I guess. And the, the I-Series was a great proving ground for me because, um, you know, again, as the I-Series kind of grew and became more professional and appealed to a wider audience and, and was bigger and better, and it required a stage and then it required a bigger stage and it required broadcasting. So I grew with that as well. And, and I cut my teeth really at the I-Series by not just commentating in the pub, uh, during the LAN, but then sort of growing onto the stage. Yeah. Um, and it sort of grew from there. And then you can make your mistakes in a fairly low-key 
environment and so that when you come to you know introducing a giant show in front of 25,000 people on a stage and you're the first person that goes out and you're opening the show and mm. it's you know it's got to be razzmatazz glitz and glamour and I've got a bow tie and a you know suit when when it's that level you've got to have had that journey or you've yeah. had to have had some really specifically good training right uh, and then I think a bit of natural talent probably thrown in at the same time my transition was very lineal for me yeah. you know I wasn't I wasn't kind of like here and then suddenly 30,000 people I didn't have to do that and so I've never really stopped and gone oh shit I'm going out to 30,000 people I've never had the only time it's ever happened let me tell you this story it's a funny story okay go on. uh we we're working in Los Angeles and we we're working for a producer called Mike Burks who is he's produced NFLs uh Super Bowls uh, tennis grand slams yeah, he's done everything in sports and he was doing our video game event and so for the very first show this is a 50 million dollar video game show it's never been done before it's going out live on direct tv which is equivalent of sky one over in america and the first thing that happens is we're about to go live and me and marcus my co-host are literally the first people on this show to open this entire thing going out on live tv and we'd never done live tv up to that point and mike burks comes into my ear as the producer and he says guys 10 seconds and we're going live no pressure but this is the biggest video game league in the world. Wow. 500 million homes are going to receive this. And I was just like, oh, shit. And I was literally, <laughs> I think I probably went white. And I definitely remember thinking, oh, my God, why did he say that to us 10 seconds yeah. out? What the hell? And I think he noticed that we were a bit like, what the hell? And then the credit rolls at the start, it's a kind of globe. And then a direct TV sign comes up and noise music makes. So we're not on screen at that point. It's just the start of the credit opening. And as it happens, we're four seconds in and Mike comes into my ear again and he says, guys, it's going great so far. <laughs> and that just, that then relaxed us. Right. And we were fine, you know, because we're like, oh, guys, okay, he's, yeah. he's just messing with us. Okay, this guy's, a, this guy's an idiot, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, in the end, it worked out fine. So racing-wise, esports racing-wise, yeah. what is one of the events that you've done that you particularly enjoyed? What was it about the race that was particularly good? Um, I think, I mean, there's a mixture here. You know, COVID was bloody awful, let's be honest. And there weren't many upsides to it. But there was one for me, which was that what happened was is a lot of sports decided that they couldn't do sports yeah. the way that they were doing them but they had to keep their content going out and they had to keep their fans happy. So inevitably F1 lends itself quite nicely to the virtual world because we already had a Codemasters F1 game. And I'd been playing the game for a little while and I've been doing lots of sim racing, actually. We were racing around in that and then we got a phone call um, at the agency that I was running at the time. Uh, could, we, could we hire a few people to take part in what F1 was calling the virtual Grand Prix of Bahrain? Okay. and they were going to hire celebrities alongside real world drivers like Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc and what have you and they were going to put these guys in these in these teams and, and make them part of their Formula 1 teams but right. then they have a race in the virtual world and we were going to commentate and I was like this is amazing this is yeah, this is genius this is everything I could ever dream of you know I, I've got Jimmy Broadbent yeah I'll put Jimmy on that's easy Jimmy's one of ours he'll go in there I had Cyanide as well on the rad books he was also motorsport mad and car mad oh great so I'll put him in as well and then the guys from Gfinity came back and they said well what about you and I said well what about me and they're like would, would you want to race and I was like does the bear shit in the woods like of course I want to race so I sign up and then Hass signed me so I end up becoming a Hass virtual 
Grand Prix driver alongside okay. Anthony Davidson. And I'm just like, this, the oh, whole thing is just surreal. And then on top of that, I then, we get into qualifying. I qualified, I think I qualified 10th or 11th and I finished 8th and picked up 3 points or 4 points uh, for Haas. Uh, and so if you go to the F1 website, you go to their database, my name is on there as having competed in one Grand Prix and that having was- got 4 points, which is to, like, I'm done. That's like... Yeah, life complete. <laughs> Tick, done that. F1, yeah, done that. Been an F1 driver, no problem. So I'm I think the that, best F1 driver on the podcast. Yeah, so that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's the claim to fame. And, and obviously, I beat a few real-world drivers. We had a great battle with Robert Schwartzman. Um, he ended up spinning off behind me. There's a guy called Dino Boganovic who's in F3 right now, who I raced against in that race. Bloody quick as well. Uh, we had Johnny Herbert, who was completely bonkers in that race. He, he jumped the chicane at the start and ended up leading for half a lap. We had Lando Norris. So I had a fight with Lando Norris. You could probably find this somewhere on the internet. I had a okay. fight. He was coming through the field. He overtook me, but then I left a bit of room because I thought, oh, he's going to go wide. And then I nipped back underneath him and re-overtook him. And then he got me down the next sh- next track. Aww. And as he got me on his stream, he went, screw you, but I... <laughs> that was really funny. That's one of those bucket list things you think you're okay. never going to get to do. And then, yeah, at the age of, what was I, 49 at the time, I'm somehow... A- Grand Prix driver, albeit in the virtual world, but you know, against proper you know, other Grand Prix drivers. And I think who else did we have in there? Uh, the golfer Ian Poulter was in that. Yeah. We had, there was, I think there was a guy from One Direction, Liam Payne, was in that. Oh, yeah. 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 I beat all of those. They're uh, rubbish, Big those guys. Big name. Uh, rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the sort of commentating side of things. You said you, you mentioned yeah. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, what was that for? Uh, that was for Dota 2, yeah. Explain a little bit more. Uh, so Dota 2 is uh, it's a 5v5 uh, kind of fantasy world. Okay. Like Imagine basketball is the only way I can think of this. Right. 5v5 on a basketball court. The court is exactly what the court is, and there's a goal at each end. Well, that's Dota 2, effectively. Okay. There is a, there is a, there is a, a thing to kill at either end rather than throw right. the ball through. But okay. other than that, it, that's the, the court stays the court. You know, yeah. the map stays the map. Just a game I really enjoyed and really loved and got into it and then um, was very lucky to to end up being hosting it and presenting right. shows doing it. So, yeah, we ended up going all over the world. I, I mean, we had things like a police escort at Manila when we stopped in Manila. Yeah, like all over the place, really. It just It's taken me absolutely everywhere. Um, I even got to go to Brazil and we were going to Sao Paulo. So I, on the first day, grabbed a camera crew and we went up into the hills and we went to Ayrton Senna's grave. Oh, nice. That was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. That yeah was... I, got, I got a few pictures of that. Um, I wore my Senna shirt for the day as well, so it was really cool. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, obviously, you've done a lot in different... You've dabbled in different sports and things like loads. that. Loads. Yeah, loads of sports, loads of different games as well. I think it's like 70 or 80 different games, so... Yeah. Wow. How do you how do you withhold all that information? Uh, good preparation, more than anything else. Um, I also have a... I suffer from ADHD and OCD, so right. a lot of that can be negative, but actually some of it can be very positive. Yeah. Um, and I think on the ADHD side of things, my brain works differently. Yeah. And so I store the most inane pieces of data and information that I can recall very easily. And right. so I think as a commentator or as a host, that probably helps. Definitely. Because you can kind of go, oh, hang on, that's that, that's that. Yeah, and, yeah. But my brain does it in a like data isn't data, the way I see it in my mind. It's a story, right? So the data might be Alan Prost was only the third driver to win a back-to-back world championship. 
-hmm. That's the data. But the story is better than that because actually, yes, he was the third one to do it, but the second one to do it was Jack Brabham, and he did it in 1959 and 1960, so that's the data. But here's the story. It took until 1986 for it to be done again. No driver between 1960 and 1986, that's 26 years, managed to win an F1 World Championship back-to-back. These days, we kind of take it for granted. Uh, Verstappen's done it. Hamilton's done it multiple times. Schumacher did it. Like, there's been nine or ten drivers that have done it. But up until Alain Prost, only three drivers. That's like, that's nuts. So, to me, it's data. Yeah, I can recall data. But it's the story. It's it's what I like to call edges. Like, how cool is it that Alberto Ascari, for instance, won two back-to-back World Championships, then went to Monaco, drove off the side of the, the, the harbour wall and fell into the harbour in his car, yeah. swam to safety, and then died two weeks later testing a sports car at Monza. Yeah. But that's not weird. What's weird is that his father, 20 years ago to the day, also died at Monza testing a sports car after having a fatal crash in Monaco the week before. That's, oh. that's why data is cool, right? But it's the edges of the data that are yeah. more interesting. The stories, the things that you can go back. And there's all sorts of other things. Look up Alberto Scari and coincidence. Like his father was the same age as he was when he died as well. So there's like, oh, it, uh, the year was the same, like it had the same end of the number of the year. It was the same time of day. The weather was similar. It's, it's spooky, all of that okay. stuff. It's really cool. yeah. but as, well, as you can probably tell, Charlotte, I'm a nerd when it comes to F1. No, I love it. I love it. So you are essentially <laughs> Ted's notebook in human form. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I actually did really dislike Ted. I think Ted's a, 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 he, he drives me nuts. He okay. drives me absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Right. Um, I'll say the word. But I'll, but I'll take the compliment in the spirit that it was meant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, before races and things like that, do you have any yeah. sort of quirky routines that you do beforehand? Are you a bit superstitious or anything like that? Uh, no. I um, I mean. Like before I compete and do stuff, no, there's nothing. I don't do anything. Thinking of other drivers now, Stefano Modena used to wear odd boots. Like, why would you wear odd boots when you're going into a racing car? Seems a bit weird. Um, other drivers would wear their gloves inside out. Yeah, I've heard that. Which is, yeah, okay. Um, I peed in my seat once. Oh my God. Whilst I was driving. <laughs> um, <laughs> which sounds worse than it. Like, I think almost every racing driver, if you interview a race yeah. driver, almost every one of them has peed in their race suit I've at some heard point. That. And it evaporates if it's warm. So it's kind of like it doesn't leave any patches. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right, it yeah, might smell a fine. bit, but we're getting a bit, a bit damn dirty now. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's weird. But if you've got to go, you've got to go. Yeah, no, but no soups. James Hunt, you know, used to throw up before every race. Yeah, I've heard that. Oh, God, no, thank you. He used to be actually physically ill before, like he was nervous yeah. and his nerves would manifest itself in being thrown like, oh my God. And yet the guy was a, was crazy. I mean, you know, he'd wake up at 9.30 a.m. on the morning of the race with three women in his bed, having got stoned out of his face the night before and then realised that he was five minutes late for practice. And then he'd just go up, turn up, put it in the car, put it on pole. It's crazy how the times have changed now. Like you would never, ever imagine an F1 driver to do that now. No, as fun as Lando is, I can't imagine him going out and doing that. No, not at all. And I can imagine, no. like, I think the rise of social media as well. Everybody's got eyes yeah. on you everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right. It's a different. I, I remember Keki Rosberg, which is Nico's dad. Yeah. Um, back in 1985, he was with Williams Honda, and they were doing quite well. 
Um, and obviously they would have a really good season in 86 and 87. Mansell nearly win the championship in both of those years. But Kecky decided at the end of 85 that he wanted to move from Williams to McLaren. And when he was asked why he wanted to move, he said the Marlborough cigarettes are free. Oh <laughs> now, I don't think he moved entirely on that basis, but the fact that he was a chain-smoking Formula 1 driver, yeah. you can tell that he was. The fact that he actually moved and got free Marlborough kind of did make it seem like it was a legit move. That's so funny. It's a different, different world, isn't it? Yeah, you just wouldn't see that anymore. Like if you saw a dra- driver smoking, they'd be like, "Whoa, they're, they're on yeah. one now." They're yeah, off even the even vapes. You know, even if they yeah. just, one of them vaped, it'd be a bit odd, wouldn't it? So, yeah, yeah, different world. So when you're commentating, can mm. you put me through a day in the life? How does it work from morning to evening? What's oh that god? Like? I mean, it depends. It massively depends what um what match you're doing or what race you're doing, depending on where you're going. Yeah. If it's a physical event, then you've usually flown there, usually outside the country, you're usually flown there two or three days before. Like my routines generally for an event would be fly out Monday or Tuesday, land Monday or Tuesday, depending on where you are in the world. Um, Have a day to kind of get your body and your mind into the time zone and get refreshed and kind of get ready. Maybe visit the event venue, whether it be a studio or a stadium. And then by... Wednesday you're probably looking at a a rehearsal of some kind or maybe even a couple of rehearsals and so it's fairly you know it's taken you three or four days to get to that kind of first day of your event um and really my work on that event starts probably the week before right because you're you're preparing for everything that's happening for that following week so you're looking at all of the drivers looking at stats you're looking at the what I call the edges the storylines you're trying to find them you know, is this going to be someone's 50th race? Is this going to be someone's first win, potentially? Is, is there a driver that did really well in the last race that can carry that form on? All of these things yeah. make a difference in your prep and, and you prepare as well as you can. And I always, I, I like to have strands. So the way I think about them is watering a garden. I know it's a bit weird, but it's how, again, how my brain works. <laughs> Basically, at the start of the week or the week before, you've got a, a rose bed, right? or a flower bed and there's nothing in it it's just dirt and you can water it all you like nothing's grown so what you have to do is you have to sprinkle some seeds in and the seeds are the data they're things that might happen but might not yeah the snapper might get his 47th win but he might not or (laughs) someone else might get their 50th race or they might not there's all these things right so you feed them in there your seeds and you sprinkle them in and then as the week goes along and you know the event unfolds you're watering the seeds and so some of them will flower and you'll be like, oh, that's perfect. Look, Verstappen's crossed the line and I had that stat ready about it's his 12th race in a row and I had this and I had that. And I can tell that as it happens at the end of the race. Brilliant. That's 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 my stat. My, my preparation has worked. And yeah. I flowered it and I seeded it and I watered it and it flowered, it bloomed and lovely. But over there, there's a few dead flowers. They didn't, they didn't survive. Yeah. And I didn't get them out on the... I think the, the, the cruelest thing is that you can prepare... Say you've, I don't know, 100 hours, right? For a big event, that wouldn't be unheard of. Out of that 100 hours, you might use six of it. Right. Like six hours of 100 hours of prep. And so there's a temptation, and I see this in a lot of commentators and a lot of hosts, that you go to the event and all you want to do is you want to just go, (laughs) I know all this stuff and I'm really cool. Look at my prep and what I've done and look at all these stories. And they don't make sense because 
the viewers kind of going, well, it's Friday, and practice one. Why are you talking to me about Max Verstappen's 50th win? Like, he's yeah. not even on seven yet. What the? F- like, doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Some of their commentators do things on Friday, like, oh, it might rain on Sunday. We might get rain. Eh, yeah. 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 Is that really a story on Friday? Maybe if you can link it into tyre choice and how many tyres they've gone through, and maybe they're going to sprinkle some water on the track in the afternoon and test the intermediates. Okay, maybe it's worth talking about rain. <laughs> but not on Friday morning. Like that, the, the, the expectation of the viewer is different on Friday morning compared yeah. to how it is on Sunday afternoon. On Sunday afternoon, I want to know, is it fucking raining or not? Yeah. <laughs> like, tell me now, right? Tell me right now when we go like, is it raining in Monaco, please? <laughs> on Friday morning, I don't care. I don't even want to know. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, yeah. stop putting on about it. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of it is about what I call appropriate prep. You know, you can prep really well. And a lot of good TV people do prep well. But if they don't use it appropriately, and that means sometimes binning it, in fact, yeah. quite often means binning it, then you haven't used it properly. So we're talking about <laughs> routines and the how the day progresses. Yes. What are the... After parties, like, are they crazy? Are they gorgeous? Uh, are the after parties crazy? Um, Do they exist? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Uh, after every event. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say the majority of them aren't crazy. The bar's usually free. And it is a collection of people who are part of what is usually a traveling circus. So whether that's F1 or whether it's eSport, the journalists and the broadcasters and the managers and the players and the drivers all frequent the same places. They all stay in the same hotels. They go through the same airports. They end up in the same racetrack. And so the after party is kind of like that one place they can feel relatively secure that no one from the outside is coming in. And I don't mean any disrespect to fans, but, oh, no. but there was no fans there. There's no one else coming in and they can let their hair down for a few hours at the end in an exotic place, you know, Singapore or Jakarta or wherever it might be. And occasionally you do a rap party, which is after you've done a big TV show. Those are properly fucking mental. Like they can be at the Playboy Mansion, Victoria's Secrets parties. I've been on a ship in the middle of the Pacific on one. You know, like they're properly bonkers. Like you go outside and you go, oh, we appear to have left land. Um, (laughs) Right. Well, I won't be going back to the hotel then for now. Uh, Hello. Oh, I, I guess I'm staying on the boat then and getting drunk. Um, yeah, so yeah, wild things like that happen. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so let's talk Singapore then this weekend. Mm. How are you feeling about the weekend? What is I mean, the general consensus other than Max is probably going to win? Yeah, I mean that's the <laughs> that's the problem with F1 in its entirety at the moment. I mean, I, I say it's the problem from a Okay, let me let me let me paraphrase. If you're oh. not a fan, if you're not a Verstappen fan, then this season is pants. Yeah, it just is, right? In the same way, if you weren't a Schumacher fan, those five years that he dominated in the early two thousands were pretty pants. If you are a fan, likewise, if you were a fan of Hamilton or Mercedes, then if you're a fan of Verstappen and Red Bull right now, life's great, right? And it doesn't get much better than the fact that he's broken records that have existed for a very long time. Like the Vettel record wasn't that long ago, but nine yeah. in a row is pretty crazy. Alberto Ascari did it back in the 50s as well. And to beat that, that takes some doing. Yeah. But it also means we're in, like, I'm going to do this at devil's advocate back and forwards, but, but it also means we're in a more dominant period of time now than ever before by one single manufacturer 
mainly thanks to the genius of Adrian uh, Adrian Newey. But at the same time, should we not appreciate just how cool that is? Like, this is what I'm saying. Pe- yeah, a lot of people look back on 88, right? And they say, oh, it's amazing. Senna versus Prost, they won 15 Grand Prix out of 16. They would have won 16, by the way, out of 16 if John Louis Schlesser hadn't taken out Ayrton Senna with five laps to go at Monza. Again, nerd brain. So we look back on that with kind of rose-tinted glasses, like Senna versus Prost. Oh, my God, it's amazing. They won 15 races out of 16. At the time, that had never been done. Mm. Like the most races anyone had won. Everyone talked about the Lotus in 1978 as being the most dominant car of all time, Ronnie Peterson and Mario Andretti. They only had five, what I'd say only, they only had five one-twos that year, right. right? That's our dominant. That was considered a dominant season for a team, you know? Yeah. And then we fast forward to 88 and they win 15 out of 16, nearly all 16. And it's never been done. And it hadn't ever been done since until kind of Schumacher era in the 2000s with Ferrari. So we look back on those years as like, wow, amazing. right? And I think we will, 20 or 30 years from now, look back on this Verstappen Red Bull era as kind of like, wow, holy shit. They won how many races in a row? Yeah. That's so, you know, because we're taking it for granted, that he'll just carry on winning every weekend. He won't. At some point, it will stop. Yeah. And at some point, the others will catch up. And I think the fascinating part about it behind them is that if you take Verstappen out, the races have been amazing. Yeah. I was going to say, they're really like close. the regulations have worked for lower down in the grid. It's just this Red Bull dominance and they just yeah. seem right. Yeah. If they, they've got something, there is something, there's probably a mixture of things, but there's probably three or four things on that car which no other car has right now. It's yeah. a, it's going to be a mixture of suspension setup because they've got push rod on the rear. And I think Ferrari are going to work on that for next season. There's only one other on the grid that I can think of that has that kind of suspension setup. And that's uh, McLaren who have push rod on both. So yeah. like, there's something on that. There's something about that way that suspension system works because they changed it for the regulations and yet no one else had done it before. So there's something on that. There's something about the floor for sure. They've done way more on the floor and and people will talk about adrian knew he's genius now he he was here when the last ground effect worked. well technically he was around but he didn't work on a car he didn't design a ground effect car he's never done a ground effect car in his life before now the first car he designed was the Leighton house march in like late 80s so ground effect was already done we finished ground effect in 1982 so i don't buy into the whole it's adrian Newey and only adrian i think it is something that he's done yeah. on the car uh, and it's definitely to do with aerodynamics, and, and he's an aerodynamicist actually by trade. Like he's not really an engineer, he's not really a an F1 designer. He, right. He's an aerodynamicist. That's where he grew up on. That's what he cut his teeth on. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that Red Bull that the other teams need to figure out and catch up. I think some yeah. of it might have been flexi wings. So we'll figure out this weekend. Interestingly, do do what I call the George Russell test. Okay, the George Russell test is when you go on board with George. Yeah. Have a look at his front wings and see how much they bend when he goes down the straight. Okay. And then when he breaks, how much they come back up. Right. For me, they're the wings that have been bending the most, the Mercedes. I think Mercedes are the ones that are going to lose out this weekend, right. if anyone loses out. Everyone else saying, oh, but Sharp, Paul, you're wrong, because it's a street track and it's slow. Actually, they've removed three corners this year, and it's going to be a lot, a lot quicker. Faster. So, yeah, yeah, trust me, there's three big, long straights here, and I think we're going to get much quicker laps. Yeah. And therefore, aerodynamics are going to play a part, and therefore, flexi wings may mix the order up a little bit, might push Mercedes back down a little bit, might push Aston Martin back up, might hurt Ferrari a little bit. Those are the, those are the sort of things. Red Bull, though, I don't I don't even think it makes any difference to them. No. I genuinely don't. 
I think if it even if it did make a difference, it wouldn't make a difference in terms of them compared to the rest of the pack. In qualifying, maybe. Because yeah. they're they're seemingly not invincible in qualifying over one lap. I mean, I don't think Max is that great over one lap. It, don't get me wrong. He's he's an incredible driver, but I don't think he is a net and center over one lap. I don't think he's a Mika Hakkinen over one lap. Yeah. He's got a great lap in him. There's no doubt. Like, look at Saudi Arabia before he crashed on the last corner. That lap was mesmerizing. Like, the distances between the gaps between the walls and the tires yeah. was oh phenomenal. God. Every corner. Like, it, I literally took my breath away how good that lap was until the end, obviously, banged it into the wall. But he's not generally a one lap specialist. Charles Leclerc's a one lap specialist. Yes. Yeah. That's he's probably the fastest. Mind he, yeah. he, he's probably the fastest qualifier I think we've got in Formula One right now. Like literally one lap speed. Not far behind would be Lewis. So yeah, they're fra- they're fragile a little bit in qualifying. And I ordinarily would have said Singapore would be great for those with better downforce cars. So and people that go well there, generally Alonso, for example, I would have as a wild card. But with the removal of those corners and now making it a much quicker track. I don't know that it will benefit those kind of guys. I think it might just be sort of as we were, kind of normal. But here's my hope. Singapore is always a bit of a wild thing. Yeah. We get a bit of rain, a bit of monsoon comes in, goes away. It's a street track, so Verstappen only has to make one mistake and he's in the wall and that's him done. So there's all sorts in there that kind of makes me think we might get one of those wacky races again. Yeah, a bit like Baku from the last couple of years or that kind of rate. And and with the increased speeds, yeah, it might put a bit of stress on the cars as well. So I'm 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 crossing everything. Yeah, I feel like we need a race like that. It's been a we while. We do, we need a bonkers race. Yeah, yeah. we do. We need, even when we've had a bonkers race, in the end Max is still one. <laughs> he, he still won. Yeah. All due respect to Max, can we just Max, can you just bugger off for the winter now and yeah. take her holiday and just let us like you can have the world championship. That's that's yours. I think yeah. there's a tweet out that I did at the start of the year actually after race one, which said, "Can we just give him the world championship now and then just carry on with everyone yeah. else for the rest of the season, give him a year off?" Because I think it would have been really really interesting. Like because you're right, it's been very close outside of the top, you know, the, the top Red Bulls. I mean, even Sergio hasn't had no great race in the last eight race i mean yeah i think his last race coming back to you know finish second was great but that's not the level we're looking for from a number two rep like we he was very bullish at the start of the year about championship winning and i was just like nah nah you're not there you're there to win the championship mate i was i thought he was gonna pull like a bot ass and just be like screw the team radios i'm off to this championship i thought we were gonna have a full Nah. Oh, just... I thought so too, but no. But then I have, then I remembered that um, Helmut Marco and Christian Horner run that team. So yeah. well, yeah. So who would you like to see on the podium? Take Max out of the equation. Who was yeah. somebody you'd see on my top step? I think the Williams have been getting quicker, quicker and quicker. So I'd like to see Albon up there. I think that would be mega. And I think it's it's an outside chance. I wouldn't say it's a realistic chance, but it's an outside chance. I think they've got a top six or seven car. Yeah. I think McLaren. That last race was a weird McLaren race. Um, not very McLaren-esque at all. I, I think in general, I think both of them have done amazingly and are brilliant drivers. If they can get back their form from you know a month ago, great. I think they could be they could be a threat around there. And I think always never discount Fernando Alonso in a crazy street track race. You know he's won a, he's won um, in Singapore before. Yeah. Um, I think the Aston seemingly has gone backwards all season. Yeah. Uh, I think it started off as a, probably the second best car on the grid. Well, actually, easily the second best car. And it's probably now the fifth best car. Um, and they've like, kind of lost their way a little bit on the development side, or they've just fallen behind the, the de- development race with everyone else, which is a shame. But I think he, you know, he's the great equaliser. 
Yeah. You know, if it's a bit of rain and on a street track, mixed conditions, car doesn't matter quite so much. And I think you'll see Fernando come alive. So um, if I'm going to go for a, a crazy podium, I'm going Hamilton wins, Ooh. Alonso second, Elbon third. There you go. That's a crazy podium. I like that. I like that. Okay. Ted says, Verstappen, Perez, Leclerc. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's so true though, isn't it? It's just bound to happen. Right, well, I can't get you on this without talking about the trip, obviously. Yeah. So you took the trip into Monaco. Yeah. How, like, talk to me about that. Like, I remember you saying about it stopped uh, continuously and... Yeah, like... Fine. Obviously, my brother and I in the car and we're, we're driving around... Monaco which you know it's been a lifelong dream of doing that anyway it's a bucket list moment for both of us but Monaco itself I mean like once we go into the center of Monte Carlo I was driving along the street and my brother goes oh we're on the pit straight and I was like wait what <laughs> oh my god so it, there's the podium what the hell so I was like oh okay so I know where I am now so I'll take a right at the end here by Saint Devot I'll go up through the hill I'll go past the casino I'll drop down into Lowe's Hairpin and as I went around the corner at Lowe's Hairpin there was a Ferrari in front of me and so I revved my car being all like oh look I'm making a noise and as I went down to the hotel a policeman <laughs> on a push bike pulls out in front of me and he's waving at me so I slow down and then he's like pull it to the side please I'm like, okay so I put it to the side and he asked me to get out he asked me where I'm from and he says right you are making too much noise in your car therefore we fine you 300 euros like what the hell what are you talking about making too much noise like that's ridiculous I didn't do anything I'm just changing gear and he goes no no this car has comfort mode you have to put this in comfort mode <laughs> like, how does he know what this car's modes are that's mad so I got a 300 euro fine for making too much noise in Monaco have you framed um, it I'd well I haven't, I haven't framed I have saved it <laughs> It's a badge of honour. I should wear it with pride. It was still amazing. You know, we, I mean, we got into the casino. We managed to park the car in a casino car park. Then we went inside and had a cup of coffee. And, and you know, yeah, it's expensive, but it's a once in a lifetime yeah. kind of thing. But the funniest moment of all of this was actually with my brother. Now, I love my brother. He, he hasn't done a huge amount in his life in terms of traveling. Like he's never been out of the UK before. Okay. Uh, so this was this was a first, you know, first time he'd been abroad. First time he's got a passport was earlier this year. And as he says himself, he just delivers fish for a living. And so he had a weird moment, which I loved, where we walk into the casino, and because it's Monte Carlo Casino, people are looking at you. You've had your car parked and you've gone in. They think, oh, it must yeah. be someone posh or special or something. But as you walk in, there's a roped off area by the cafe. Only the people with a card, the card you get for your car being parked, are allowed in. Right. Or you have to be someone famous. So of course, I just say to my brother, walk like you own it. Just walk <laughs> like, it, like you're meant to be. And he was like, okay. I go straight to the bar and I go, could I have a couple of uh, lattes, please, for me and my brother over on the table? And they were like, oh, of course, sir. Please take a seat. And so then we're, we're sat down in this very exclusive cafe area. And a Around the edges of these roped off areas of people looking in, taking photographs. That's brilliant. And my, and my brother is sat there with his coffee going, why are these people taking photographs of me? <laughs> just act like you're famous. I'm, I'm, I'm just a bloke that delivers fish. Who do oh. they think I am? And that was what he said. And it just made me, it cracked me up. And it was just such a fun moment to share with him. Memories for lifetime. I mean, we had so many of them, right? On that trip. It was just... I have not experienced the night like that night out that we had. Oh, since. goodness. Are you, talking about, are you talking about the nightclub night? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I even dance. I don't dance normally. But I know. I, I have videos of you dancing. Yeah, that's not good. Robert and I both said when we came home, it's about, it's not just about the trip. It's about the people, Completely. genuinely. And I'm not just saying it because you're wrong, but it, uh -huh. like, genuinely, I, I loved 
meeting you um, and your partner and, and Gary and Amanda and all the different people that we had in our little, because we did form a little mini group yeah, of our own as well. Yeah, comfort blanket Aston Martin at the front, <laughs> leading the way with Caroline and Steve. Um, and again, you know, Caroline for me was a, a ray of sunshine every day, no matter where yeah. she was. Super positive woman, lovely lady to speak to. And again, we had a riot on that night out. And I think genuinely, I missed people when we came home. Like we we because we came home um, right at the end. We obviously still had one with us. We had right. the Z4 with us all the way to <laughs> back to home. Uh, but the funniest thing is when they split off as well. It was kind of like it was that bit in the Fast and the Furious yeah. where they split the road and like. Bye. <laughs> funny but also genuinely quite sad because yeah. it, it was like we knew that was the end of the holiday yeah like we had a, about 25 minutes to get home and we were like that's it now yeah it was a hell of a trip i can't wait to go back and do stuff i know we're not doing the same one next year but i think we're gonna probably end up on a, a similar trip next year so yeah can't wait on the trip we we obviously had that iconic playlist that everybody yes else, we still yes. listen to that I, I, I still listen to it all the time. Yeah, so with my podcast, I have a Spotify playlist called The Garage Radio. Right. The people that I have on the podcast, I ask them to give them their song of the week. So, Paul, oh. your song of the week. <gasps> if you're getting oh. in the car right now and putting a song on, what oh. is it? Um, I hope this isn't on your playlist because this needs to go on your playlist if it's not on there because it's a great. It's not only a great track, it's a great driving track, right? Okay. That's what we like. keep, in, keep in mind, I've made that soft rock playlist, right? And yeah. There's some there's some pretty big bangers on there, but I can't have one of them. So I'm going to go for a newer one from this year. Nothing but thieves. Welcome to the DCC. Oh my god, I love that song. Like, yes. like play that, turn it up, and drive it's to it because it's like, oh, uh, what a track that is! And if you yeah. get a chance, have a listen to the album as well. It's another fabulous yeah. album. I've got all four of their albums. I've oh. even got on vinyl. I'm a proper <laughs> MBT <laughs> fan. A proper MBT fan. Thank you so much for coming on and joining. It's been great to hear. Yeah, no worries. No, it's been fun. Um, and yeah, I will see you soon. Mm-hmm.